Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics, Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. We're here at the Evangelical Theological Society meetings, uh, which is a great conglomeration of all these world-class biblical, theological, and philosophical scholars, and I get the chance to cherry-pick uh, among my favorites who I want to interview. So we are here today with uh, one of my favorite folks, uh, Dr. Gary Habermas, uh, who has a long history with uh, Talbot's philosophy program. Uh, I think we'll, 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 the way we'll put it is uh, you mentored our colleague J.P. Moreland uh, for many years. Think so? Uh, and although he might, he might say it's just, he might, the, he he, might say it's, he might dispute that. He may turn uh, around, yeah. But, but when uh, I first met him, he hadn't finished his Ph.D. yet, so he was... He was still, you, he's your, your junior colleague. He was, because he came so, to Liberty for a little while. That's yes, right. Yes. So, uh, Gary is a pro- prolific author. He has spoken all over the world on topics related to apologetics and philosophy. But he's a specialist known worldwide, I think, for two primary areas. That on the resurrection of Jesus and on the phenomena of near-death experiences. So, I'd like to, Gary, I'd like to start with that. First sure. of all, Welcome. And thank thanks you. for thanks for joining us thanks, on Scott. this. Glad to be here with you. So tell us what exactly is meant by the term a near death experience. Well, actually, near death has different definitions, but it's usually said it's a state from which you can reasonably be thought to die if there's not immediate intervention. But because definitions of death come in different flavors, you know. Um, CPR says we don't feel any heartbeat yet, but no machines. And, of course, there could be more advanced things, no uh, EKG, no EEG. And then kind of my favorite is the one the naturalists, and just many methodological naturalists use, if you came back, you weren't. (laughs) (laughs) Because, but the other, that definition is, it's irreversible death. So near death would be somewhere in between, and sometimes the little state might be you could have measurable, no measurable heart or upper brain activity. Those cases are quite common. And for that many minutes, let's say 30 minutes, you could be reporting data that would be highly evidential. But then when they resuscitate you, uh, you're good to go and you don't remember it and you think it was a wonderful experience and you're not afraid to die. So for those 20, 30 minutes, you could have been it's, it's more than near death. I mean, somebody, some people have called those the post-death portion, but you can return from these post-death portions. Okay, so what, what's the significance, sort of theologically and philosophically, of these near-death experiences? Well, the significance to me is, we're, again, we're looking for scientific verification of a, in this case, religious truth, and about, well, we're, it's getting on to about 30 years now, Science found out that if you have a cardiac arrest, there's different kinds of cardiac arrest, but if you have a cardiac arrest with ventricular fibrillation, you will be brain dead in about 15 seconds. Now, in the old days, when Indies first started, and I, mean, I was hanging around with some of the guys, the pioneer researchers, and I remember being a medium at University of Connecticut, and we were saying, man, the ideal evidential case would be somebody who's measurably flat brain flat heart and they have data well now it's easy to tell you don't have to have people hooked up to machines just have as rough as it sounds just have a cardiac arrest with ventricular fibrillation and the rest takes care of itself you'll be measurably dead 
in less than a minute. And if you can report data during that time, if you were in that state for 30 minutes, uh, it's very highly evidential state from which you can report data that you couldn't possibly have seen. Even if you were staring right at it, you would never be able to tell what it is. But if it happens down the hallway or three floors away or back in your home, uh, that's just more all the more evidential. Okay, so to tell our listeners about you know some of the most unusual. So what are what are some of the best cases of these near death experiences well, that you that you're familiar with? Well, they're incredible. I mean, they're like the twilight zone. Um, there's 300 at least 300 evidential cases now on record. People think this is twilight zone type stuff, and it's not terribly scientific. Well, the leading researcher who just retired from University of Virginia was uh, an MD, psychiatrist, distinguished professor of brain sciences. So it's a pretty high-level thing. And he himself published 100 peer-reviewed articles on NDEs in medical and psych journals. So it's, it's a lot of things going on that people don't know. Yeah. So just let me, let me just... He, sure. uh, Dr. Habermas is using the term NDE as a short for near-death experience. Near-death experience, or an NDE-er would be an experiencer. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And uh, in a latest book, one of the latest books came out from the University of Missouri Press by a bunch of medical doctors and other researchers, and they estimate that in North America, the UK, and Europe alone, up to 30 million people have claimed to have had near-death experiences. So we're not talking so much about, you know, the old objection. Yeah, you, you got a lot of evidence for the resurrection, but you want me to believe in the land of Oz. You want me to go to, with right. you to Middle Earth. Well, up to 30 million people claim they've been there, you know. So this is not the wild world we think. So what we're most interested in when they claim to have those journeys is when they produce evidence. And uh, I've divided the evidence into three categories. And, and skeptics, strangely enough, like some skeptics like one kind and other skeptics like another kind. One would be data from inside the room that would, be a, that would give all the uh, uh, the appearance to be in a first person, you had to be an eyewitness to your own uh, cardiac arrest. Next, I think is more evidential, and it's NDE data at a distance. So if something happens to you in LA and your family lives 20 miles away, and you look in and see what your wife is, is making for dinner, and she hasn't made this dish for three years, so the chances of you, she doesn't make it every Tuesday night. So, and you report, and they get you stabilized and you find out what she was making for dinner. Um, that's, that's pretty interesting because it's miles away. Uh, the third one is uh, the one that Bruce Grayson calls one of the very best evidence, he says, for spiritual existence. So the other realm would be experiences where the end of year meets somebody. Sometimes they don't know the person. But oftentimes the person is very, very close to them. Their dad who died 10 years ago. Their wife who died two years ago. Um, and the person who they are positive they're standing, just like you go to back to your folks' house and say, that was my dad, I had dinner with my dad tonight. No one's going to question you or you're with your dad. The person, sure, he's with his dad, but the, the father's been dead for 10 years, so he's irreversibly dead, the father. The son returns. But dad gives him information that nobody know, else knows, and it comes to pass. So an example would be, um, hate to tell you this, son, but you're... Your uh, cousin just died in Afghanistan. You'll be getting the, the telegram tomorrow. Or someone says, Dad, what are you doing here? You know, I just saw you last week. 
Some had had a heart attack uh, across the country, and uh, I'm dead too. And they're both having near-death experiences. Or somebody tells some other kind of information, but they get it from a person who's irreversibly dead. A fourth kind is a shared NDE, which are weird. It's where a, a, a healthy person witnesses, maybe even goes up the tunnel with, uh, but they're sent back and the other person stays, but they get to see the tunnel data. And there is one case where there's more than one person who witnesses it. And the last case are Indies and the blind. Now that's the one, frankly, that has probably the last, least evidential cases, but they're people who never saw anything their entire life, except for this 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, and they see cooperative things. So, but now when that's in the presence of measurable, you always have to say measurable because people could say, well, maybe there's brain waves that we can't measure. You know, it's funny how naturalists like the machines until the machines go against them, <laughs> you know, and now it's measurable. Mm -hmm. But if it's in the presence of, of a, a cardiac arrest, ventricular fibrillation, and, and nothing else, you just, the brain dies. And the brain stem follows very quickly. So evidence in those states is highly evidential, I would say, well, Bruce Grayson says the spirit world, I would say continuing consciousness of the person who's having the NDE. Okay, so you, what, just to be clear for our listeners here, what you're referring to is that period, it could be, you know, 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes. I mean, I've heard accounts even as, as much as a few hours. Right. Um, now, the, the longer you go, it would be interesting to get the ones that are flat brain, flat heart for hours. Right. But I know a flat brain, flat heart case for 30 minutes. But let's, we'll, take, we'll take 30 minutes as the max sure. here. But it's, it's, what, it's that first-person experience that I'm having. If I'm the patient and I've had a heart attack and I, am I, could, I could be pronounced dead by all clinical criteria and yet be resuscitated, 20 minutes later, yep. it's, what had, it's what I experience as, as that person in that 20-minute interval that you're describing as the evidence for this near-death experience being real. And only if what you cite is verifiable. You say, well, right. only you saw your dad. You go, yeah, but everybody was at my house yesterday when the telegram came. We found out my cousin was killed in Afghanistan. Um, a, a recent book on this topic was published a couple of years ago, and there's over 100 evidential cases. The only criteria is that you have backup from at least one other person on the species of evidence you're claiming. Okay. Now, I, I admit, this, some of this does sound a little bit like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it does. Uh, so t tell us a little, a little bit more about how you connect the dots here, sort of theologically, with, the, with what this implies for, you, you mentioned briefly, just a minute ago, about our having conscious existence outside the body. Right. Maybe like the existence of our soul and the evidence for the afterlife. Right. Sort of apart from the evidence for the physical resurrection of Jesus. Right, right. And those are great questions. Um, now, J.P. Moreland, your colleague, and I did a book uh, years ago. The final title of it, it came out with a couple of presses, was Beyond Death. And... We give some of these these cases, and JP works it into a philosophy of mind thing, and we call it, in that book, we call it a Christmas morning view of heaven. Now, what we mean by that is, except for the cases where you meet your dad, and he's been dead for 10 years, someone else has been dead for 22 years, your grandfather, and you saw them, except for those cases, most of these are minutes, let's say less than an hour. And so we're not claiming 
unless you want to claim, you know, your father, you got at least 10 years, grandfather, 20 years. But for the most of these, they're initiations to consciousness after death. And that alone is really tough on naturalism. Uh, Wait, wait, spell spell that out. Why Naturalism? Well, spell that out. Why why that's so? The the naturalist is the one who believes that we're nothing more than the the physical substance of of the world. Chemistry and physics. Naturalist, very briefly, says the natural world is all there is, and so on. And, And actually, some of the best naturalists, Bertrand Russell, um, you know, big names who are arguing for Ernest Nagel, who argue for atheism, they'll act like the two biggest planks that they have to destroy are God and an afterlife. You know, and, and so it's big to them. And if you get either God or an afterlife, they're kind of in trouble here. So, and I'm not claiming, they could say, well, come on. Your best cases, and that's not true because you got your father cases, but your best cases only go for a few minutes. Why couldn't there be a residue in the brain and, and naturalism is still right? You're going to die. You're like five minutes away from being finally dead. Well, to me, they're kicking and screaming about that one because one minute's rough on them. Five minutes is rough on them. Seems to say something about spiritual existence. Seems to be the beginning. But the people who come back... They are forever changed. In some surveys, none of them fear death. They so, could care less. Okay. So, so what that demonstrates is that there is the possibility of conscious existence. Conscious existence. Out, out, that's, not, that's not necessarily tied to the body. Correct. And transformation often follows. Now, there is a, an inner debate about among the Indians because they, so, they think the world is so cool. Oh, wow, like Plato. You know, it's like... Wow, I get to see that, I get to see this, and I get... They're not looking at themselves, but there is a dispute about... Some of them will say they have a body, and some of them will say they would they were a spirit, a disembodied spirit. That, that's not a subtle question. Okay. But, they, but they're conscious. Okay. So, you've, you already mentioned there's there's a lot at stake for the atheist. Yeah, In, in debunking sure. the afterlife. Right. What are, what are some of the most common responses of the atheist, the, the naturalist, to these near-death experiences? Sure. Uh, well, they'll, call, they'll say temporal lobe seizure, uh, oxygen deprivation, uh, exaggerating stories, lying, hallucinations, uh, you're dreaming a story when you were two years old, and any of those. But, he, but this, Scott, unlike resurrection, where a critic can go anywhere and jump in at any point and come up with natural theories. The thing about NDEs is that there's a line in the sand. All, virtually every single natural response is an inner response. Oxygen deprivation, you're lying. Why did you exaggerate that story? You misremembered, it's a dream. They're all internal. No internal account can tell you or tell me or tell anybody how you properly repeated something from 30 miles away that happened precisely during the stretch when you had no measurable heart and brain waves. It's a very rough argument for the atheist to say, oh, there's nothing to it. You should not be recording things out there. If you lay on the ground for five minutes, you're going to eventually fade away. All right, maybe the, maybe the atheist says, yeah, but you know, there's neurons and everything else and that they hang on for a while. But not when you're having the time of your life. It's the best thing. You're not afraid to die anymore. But you're reporting. If the things I told you, if I gave you a list, you would say, oh, my gosh, people see those things? Yeah, these things are documented. They're written up in journal articles, recorded very quickly after the person comes to many times. Well, um, some, some people... 
uh, and I'm sure you've, you've, run, you've run into them uh, over the years, uh, claim that these experiences actually contradict biblical teaching. Yeah, this is a great uh, question. And, and, should, and should be rejected yes. as you know, maybe even demonic. Demonic, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. tell to us me, a little bit about that objection. What's, I mean, I don't, I don't see, it's not obvious to me why people wouldn't embrace this readily. Because, for, first of all, if you just want to be a human being, what we gain in the deal against naturalism, I will take a little bit of biblical consternation, and I will work on those things. We have a lot of biblical consternation on this issue or that issue, but there's a really good comeback, and it goes like this. So much so that I think it renders everything a moot point. And it goes like this. I've already told you my criteria. My criteria are I'm only going to use, or my criterion, is I'm only going to use evidenced cases. Evidence cases are virtually always, 90-something percent, are always this-worldly things. In the room, a mile away, a block away, they're earthly things. Now, you're going to tell me if you're an atheist, um, you were, you met Jesus, and Jesus said, man, you lived a, lived a really good life, and you know, we're measuring your good deeds against your last deeds, and we'll see you back here in about 20 years. And you come back and you go, I was an atheist, but man... I'm going to keep doing the things I'm doing because Jesus himself told me that I'm okay and I'm going to have it. Or um, a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist could say, my religion has been verified because I was told by this angel or Shiva or somebody that I'm coming back. There's a real easy comeback. To me, that is no more evidential than to have a neighbor of one of ours say, I'm a Hindu. Can I talk to you sometime about Hinduism? Sure, come on over. Talk about Hinduism. They're just giving their testimony. If a person tells me an angel said I can come back in 20 years, even though I'm a Buddhist, I'm able to go to heaven, that's just their testimony. There's no data for it. The, the data cases are this worldly. The testimonies are otherworldly. The otherworldly, you go, well, that cuts both ways in because you can't talk about heaven. Strictly speaking, I can't. You go, well, I understand 20% of the cases are hell cases of one sort or another. Well, yeah, they are. Oh, I bet you that's a bummer for you to lose your hell cases because they're not evidence. I say, no, it's not a problem for me at all. I just listen to the testimony. If you say you go to hell, I'm going to listen to it. If you say you're a Hindu and you're allowed in heaven, I'm going to listen to your testimony. But it's only your testimony. There's no data for it. And I could say you're the one that has the dream. You lived in the Bible Belt. You thought you were going to hell because you didn't follow the Lord or or, uh, you know, it could be anything that you saw hallucinated. You're exaggerating. I can use, turn the same theories around on them. But if they don't have data, they don't qualify for what I'm looking for. So those are just nothings. They're, they're more points. Okay. Now, it's, it's become almost conventional wisdom among naturalists uh, and largely throughout our culture that the, the biblical teaching that we've held to for a couple millennia, uh, that human beings have souls, is sort of a you know, it's a nice fiction uh, that neuro, that the neurosciences have rendered sort of obsolete. Yeah. How how do these near death experiences help uh, restore our confidence in the biblical teaching that we have souls? Well, to me, NDEs would be blood brothers with the Kalam argument, which is introduced by Muslims, intelligent design arguments fine-tuning arguments. What I mean is you can be a member of any religion and say amen to these things. I've got a 
Argument for God's Existence in My File Cabinet was written by a Hare Krishna guy with a PhD in physics. He's doing a cosmological argument. So we stand together against naturalism and these things don't happen. By the way, the cosmological argument for our listeners refers to the, the idea that the universe had a beginning and therefore must have a beginner. Right. All things the, the, that, yes. the, the, the fine-tuning fine argument is essentially that the, the earth is just in exactly the right place. God fine-tuned the universe so that, so that, so that human, being, human life could flourish on earth. In dozens of aspects. Yeah, and the slightest deviation from that renders human life, renders, renders, renders the earth a wasteland. We wouldn't be here. Yeah. Uh, so, just those are some of the pri- some of the right. some of the best apologetic arguments. So, I have no I have no problem with the with the Muslim having come up with the Kalam. I think that's great. Um, if if a, a Buddhist says I had a near death experience and I went to heaven, I go, oh really? Okay. If he says I go to hell, I'm going to listen too. But but yeah, the, these are general religious things. So they don't necessarily say they don't say Christianity is true, but they do say that the general religious worldview that there's a consciousness. And if the body's dead, you go, well, yeah, but you call it a near-death experience. I know. But for 30 minutes, it was so close. If you're still observing data and reporting, that's highly evidential and, and really, without much question, supports a religious view of the universe, whatever religion, and not the naturalistic view of the universe. So this is something naturalism has to grapple with. Then the different religions can square off and talk about what other data they have to make their claim to revelation the true one. Fair enough. How, how I mean, you've spent you spent a lot of years studying these near death experiences. Mm-hmm. How has this encouraged your spiritual life? Well, I have read some of the the uh, zero the, the 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 ones that really zero in, like a really high powered journal uh, medical journal article, or I mean, I have my favorites, and that book I was telling you about, edited by uh, Janice Holden, and uh, it's got the hundred nine cases where you have to have at least one witness. Um, it's like it's like when you study apologetics and, and you study something you hadn't heard before and you go, like a double-blind prayer, and all of a sudden you're going, wow, we really are right. It's like you're surprised sometimes. I mean, you believe all the data on your side, but when more data come in, to me, it gives me great comfort. And I would say studying NDEs has virtually removed my fear of death. Now, I have the resurrection. But that, and that was good. But I mean, these are 20th century, your next door neighbors, somebody's here, why science is discovered. It, it sort of makes it very comforting that our worldview in general, a religious worldview, is correct. And to me, that kind of peace and interest in sharing it with others. I mean, I, I live on a little lake, and if I were to catch a big bass, last time I caught a big bass, nobody was out in their yards. But I held that thing up and I went, whoa, because I didn't care if you like to fish or not. I want you to see what I just did. Well, it makes me respond like that. It makes me respond like, whoa, did you guys hear that? Life after death, yes. It's like it, it makes me more, maybe it's just kind of getting older, but it makes me more willing, more exuberant to to spreading the message and, and being more than willing to mix it up with anybody who wants to mix it up evidentially. Yeah. So, give give us your favorite case of these. Oh wow! The reason I don't have a favorite case is because I have different strokes for different folks. If you like this kind, I like this kind. One of my favorites. Um, there's a, a lady who was up above her body. She claimed, and she looked down, 
and there was a medical apparatus in the room. And you know how hospitals often they take um, they have to take account with numbers on all serial numbers, and they rivet them into the top of the metal. And she looked down and she said, she said, uh, I'm OCD. And I looked at this number, and there was a 12-digit number there. And whenever I see numbers like that, I minimize them. I, I, I memorize them. And when she came to, she said to the nurse, she goes, by the way, get a sheet of paper real fast. The number is 12F3476, 12 digits. And the nurse shared it. There were other people there who heard the, heard the testimony. They copied the number down. And about a week or two later, some guys came in to get the medical thing to take it somewhere else to use it. And the nurse went, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, where's that number? Where's that number? And they dug the number out, and when they tipped the thing to put on the dolly or whatever it was, they read the number and she got it exactly right. Now, to make things more interesting, my my teaching, uh, my uh, research assistant, a PhD candidate, um, with magic fingers today in this generation, he emailed her. He got the nurse's email and said, tell me about this. So I still haven't unpacked it with him. He hasn't told me what you said. But yeah, she said, yeah, I copied that number down. The number was exactly the same. Well, somebody sees this, how can you see on top of a thing when it's over your head and you're in a state where, you know, so yeah. that was one of my favorites. Um, one of them, a guy had surgery and he was up above his body and he was wandering between the rooms and there were surgical units side by side by side. He walked, he went through the wall, he said, and he watched a guy having his leg amputated in the next room and gave details on what those doctors were doing with his leg while his body is dying on the bed. Of course, they revived yeah. him. Another one, and this is one of my favorites, a fellow who had a cardiac arrest. He was out for 30 minutes. People are often drawn to where their family or loved ones are. That's where they visit. And he had left Florida to come up to Milwaukee to have the surgery. And he looked in, quote unquote, on one of his buddies who was house sitting for him while he was coming up for the surgery. And he saw his buddy doing something in the house, which is not like illegal or bad or anything, but it was really odd. And he observed the guy, drew a picture of what the guy was doing. And on his way away from the house, he noticed a, a magazine on the table that said Denmark on it. And they don't get anything from Denmark. And he wondered what this magazine was. And when he had the surgery and he went back, he talked to his friend. He goes, hey, was this picture like anything that you were doing in the house? The guy goes, oh, my gosh, where'd you get that? He goes, I watched you. And he went right on his dining room table, picked up the magazine. And it was from Denmark. So, But he was without measurable brain and heart uh, footage. I mean, to me, that those are extremely evidential cases. Yeah. And they highly favor a spiritual worldview. So yeah, that I think that's the good news out of this. Yeah. And I, I admit this, you know, maybe our listeners for whom this is their first exposure right. to this may be thinking, you know, this this really does sound like something from the twilight zone. Yeah, and when people um, say science always confirms naturalism, this is the way it works. You yeah. ask them about NDEs because today, I I, I was dialoguing with one of the best known naturalists. Any, anybody who reads apologetics and know who this guy is, and he's very very well known. And he said to me, Yeah, but you want me to believe in Oz when you talk about the resurrection. You asked me to believe in another world. And I said, okay, time out. Let's talk about near-death experiences and see if there is another world. And the guy literally said to me, it's taped, the guy literally said to me, I don't want to talk about near-death experiences. See, he didn't want the conversation going there. And that, that says something to me. That's significant. So I take it this, your interest in near-death experiences came out of your general interest in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. That's very perceptive. It did. Because resurrection goes all the way to heaven. In India, you say there is a world like Middle Earth or Narnia or Oz. 
and we're on the yellow brick road. We're following, and we all have to be good stewards and good ministers, and that's what this is about. So that there's, there's, I think this is this I think is really helpful for our listeners because what I'm hearing from this is that there's a there's a lot more to our confidence in eternal life than simply the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Not not to discount that. Yeah, that matters a lot. I would take the resurrection if I only had to take one event. But yeah, when you have backup from other fields like NDEs, wow, it broadens the evidence considerably. Uh, so just as, as we as we wrap up this, what, what would you say for our listener? What is what's the most compelling thing to you about the resurrection of Jesus that convinces you it's true? Well, I'm prejudiced, but when I was doing my doctoral dissertation at uh, Michigan State, um, I only did it for a few pages because the I idea was just starting and I saw it in a few other people and so I started developing it but I'm convinced most of all with an argument that I call the minimal facts argument that takes the lowest common denominator amount amount of data so all I require is that the person I'm talking to be a scholar in a relevant field so philosophy classics New Testament theology archaeology religion something that means you know how to judge these data and if you know the last week of Jesus' life, uh, roughly, you're going to concede these facts because they're so well attested. In fact, I made it, I just came up with a list recently. How many points of backup do we have for these six facts? Point, point, what makes these six facts facts? And there's over a 100. That's why people don't argue if they know their stuff. And I would say from that little group of six facts alone, you can show that by far the best explanation is that this man, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead. And that gives me great comfort too because the guys I often use when I dialogue, I would almost prefer to use the atheist New Testament scholars, the agnostic New Testament scholars, the New Testament scholars who belong to other religions, they're Jewish or Muslim or something else, and they concede the facts too. And I think the result of conceding the facts is that you're automatically in the corner and you're fighting for your life if you don't want to believe in the resurrection. Okay, so what are those six facts? Well, it depends almost on what mood I'm in. Sometimes I'll use three. Um, okay, so give, give me the three. Sure. Give me the, 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 the most compelling facts. Okay, I'll use six then. Uh, Jesus died at the cross. Now, that's not resurrection, but of course he has to be dead to be alive. Okay. So he died at the cross. The disciples, and I'm watching my words real carefully, the disciples had experiences that they believed were appearances of the risen Jesus, just to say they thought they saw Jesus. Thirdly, they turned the world upside down. They were transformed, not just with their beliefs in general, but the resurrection in particular. Over and over again, we're told in the New Testament, they went out, Acts 4, they went out and preached the resurrection. Uh, so they were, and I don't want to, I can't prove that they all died as martyrs, but I can say because of the resurrection testimony, they were all willing to die. So that was a real transformation. Four, this is proclaimed very very early. Skeptics like Bart Ehrman, skeptics like Gert Ludeman, who call themselves atheists as far as I know, they will allow that this material began to be preached immediately after the crucifixion. Bart Ehrman says one to two years max. I mean, the book of Acts is 50 days, but we know the preaching went on right away. And Bart Ehrman gives a half dozen avenues for you to know it's only one to two years. And the point is, there, when people say, oh, Paul was the founder of Christianity, Jesus was a real kind, ethicist, uh, Palestinian peasant, and all this, and Paul ruined it. Go, well, many of these early creeds in the New Testament, they are 
they are pre-Pauline, which means when Paul said yes to Jesus, this data already existed very, very early. And then two skeptics, James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul, both become believers because they thought they were seeing appearances of the risen Jesus. So that's the basis with you, with you if you allow that, you're kind of, you're kind of moving uphill having to deal with some heavy data. And I like resurrection because unlike NDEs, I said I would, if I took one, I'd, the reason I like resurrection is resurrection is capable of going on and building a worldview. NDEs, we only have, we, for the most part, we only have minutes. <coughs> we only have minutes and we don't have a full blown, we just go, wow, religion. We don't have a lot of data. Resurrection gives us a full blown worldview and that, the resurrection yields that. Gary, this is great stuff. You know, I hope uh, for our listeners, I hope your faith is encouraged by this because not only is there great evidence for the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, but there's also great evidence for the fact that we can we can verify something like an afterlife in the here right. and now today. Right. That's I think what's so valuable about the near death experiences. And Gary, I'm so appreciative that you've given much of your professional life to this area, this really important area of study. Thanks. There's so much at stake, and I think the, the, the atheists recognize that this is one, as you mentioned, one of the two central pillars that they have to deal with, and it's getting harder and harder to do that. Yeah, they can't mess around with God and afterlife. <laughs> so so thanks, thanks so much for being with thanks, us. Thanks, Scott. I enjoyed it very much. Thanks for the interview. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and about today's guest, Dr. Gary Habermas, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. That's biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.